0: Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, and on this show, we'll talk truth on tough topics to help you normalize and navigate the junk and invite you to choose Epic Joy on the daily. Because let's be honest, life gets to be a whole lot of both. We'll jam on beliefs, breakups, body image, and so much more to create breakthroughs and become the truest you. Like my mama bee always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I have a recurring guest. All So many of you know the beautiful Dr. Sean Horn is back here again today to talk on really this Unique, not unique, but special topic of navigating grief. Grief is a really Mm -hmm. big topic. So, Dr. Sean, welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. We're so happy to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much. I love being here with you every time.
0: You Mm -hmm. always bring the most incredible nuggets. I'm always, my mind is always blown. My heart is always so full. Um, I always grow so much personally, and I know the listeners do too. So, give our listeners, for those of them who are, (coughs) Who are new. Why don't you tell them just a, a little bit about yourself and um, why your work is so powerful?
1: Sure. Well, I am the shame busting psychologist. My jam is all about helping people bust through toxic shame so they can live wholeheartedly, fully step into their dreams and be the big unicorns they're meant to be in this donkey world. <laughs> so I am all about freeing people up and I feel it's so important to talk to people about shame because what a lot of people don't know is that it is at the core of all of our emotional and behavioral struggles. And we encounter micro shames every day that we're not even aware of that. Just keep us back and fuel our people pleasing and our perfectionism and our workaholic efforts and, you know, all these things. And, and when we are able to identify it and see it for what it is, we can begin to rescue ourselves and our self-esteem and our sense of worth and the message that we really are good enough, not just an affirmation, but genuinely. And so I really bring this message to the front. I've been doing this for 29 years in the mental health field for that long. And I'm a little out of breath right now. I'm not sure why.
0: (laughs) Just all this, all this excitement has been building up. (laughs) I know. We get excited like, when we talk about the things we're passionate about, I you know, know, like we I can't know. even, we can't even talk fast enough because there mm-hmm. is so much information. And we did a whole podcast on shame in general. So you guys make sure that you definitely go back and revisit that one. A hundred percent. Um, Dr. Sean is doing so much great work around this area and I had never had somebody explain it the way that you did. Um, Mm. it just made so much more sense and how it was related to all these other, I call them joy blocks because you know that I'm all about joy and shame is such a huge joy block for so many people to Mm. move through. So, Um, In relation to our topic today, navigating grief, I called you up because as many of our listeners know, I went through divorce and I feel like a taboo topic was grief. And Mm. I didn't realize when I was processing, and this goes for so many things, grief shows up in so many different forms and so many different facets in our life. But I feel like an untouched topic so often is grief in um, the loss of a relationship, Mm-hmm. So many, and ju- not just divorce so many different areas. So let me like backpedal just a little bit. Cause I want to go through so much of this and unpack this with you, but what is grief in the first place?
1: Like what oh, is grief? It is that painful loss that it's more than just the loss of a life. It's a loss of a dream. It's a loss of a hoped possibility. It's a loss of, of expectations, not brought to fruition. It is the disappointment of our heart and our soul for something we were expecting to journey with someone, an experience, an opportunity that we just wanted so much in our life. And now it's just gone. And so there is this profound sadness that it's, it's, um, it's just so deep. So it's loss and grief. We lost something and we are grieving, which is that process of walking through that sadness and that loss. And
0: that's how I would describe grief. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Cause it really is. It's, it's like, it can be a physical loss. You mm-hmm. can actually lose a pet or a, or, or a person or a, an ex, or an experience, you know, I didn't get that job. I have to grieve that, or I'm leaving this job and going to a new one. And I'm grieving the fact that I'm leaving, even though I kind of want to mm-hmm. so many experiences of physical loss, but then also the emotional loss, Yeah, just the emotional loss and, and going through a divorce. It was like, why am I, is this grief? I didn't even know that I was going through grief at the time. And I didn't Mm -hmm. want to admit that I was, Mm -hmm. and that's an area that I want to cross into today because I felt like, although I didn't physically lose this person emotionally, I did, Mm -hmm. I did. It was like the cutting off this really abrupt, like you're no longer with me, even Mm -hmm. though I have all of these memories with you. So that was just such a deep grief and sadness, but I just thought I was kind of bummed or maybe depressed. And I tried to label it those things instead of owning the grief. Why do we have a hard time owning the grief? I feel like it comes, comes full circle to shame. I have had, it does because there's so many shoulds
1: that people encounter with grief about what they feel they have the right to grieve or not the right to grieve what they should be grieving or shouldn't be grieving, how long they should be grieving or not be grieving And it gets stigmatized. If I'm still sad, what does that mean about me? And this is something I hear so much with people who go through divorce is they'll say to me, you know, it would have been easier if I had lost my spouse to death than to have gone through this divorce. Because when I'm sad, people come up to me and they say, why are you sad? You should be happy. You're the one that got divorced. There's this expectation that if you're the one that chose the divorce or initiated it, or it was an agreement, then there is joy about it. There's relief. There's the burden is gone. It's the problem is over. So now I get to be free, and I chose this. I'm empowered, and people are having their their divorce moons with their girlfriends. You know, they get together and they have these parties and you know, all these trash, the dress
0: and all the things my friends were like, don't you just want to like roll in the mud in your wedding dress? And I was like, no. And this, I'm so glad that you're touching on this. Like, it's so validating because I, I was in partnership with the decision. I didn't want to admit it at the time again, Mm -hmm. shame. Like I didn't want to admit that I too no longer wanted to be in this relationship. And I, and the reason was because I didn't know why I didn't, I didn't know why I just knew in my gut that this was no longer the direction and it didn't, it didn't matter. And so what I felt the exact same way, like, man, I would never want anyone to die, but I kind of wish he just died because then at least it would make more sense.
1: Right. You would, you would be comforted. People would come in and say, "Yes, you. how are you doing today? You know, in the anniversary of the, of the divorce, people reach out and, give you hugs and emotional support and bring you meals, or just let it be okay that you're having one of those days. But when people are facing divorce, they don't get any of that because there's this idea that you are happy, you should be done or whatever those expectations about that process. So people, but they go through the same thing that they would go through if their spouse died, if anything, it makes it worse sometimes because that person is still there Yes. And so they're still reminded, they see their partner going on and living the life that they had dreamt they would have with that partner. Mm. And so you're, you have these constant reminders of this life that could have, would have, should have have to mm. kind of thing. And all the feelings that it brings up, the triggers that it brings up. And then when you talk to other people, they don't understand. And so then they should all over you with whether you should have those triggers or not and so forth. And so then people suffer in silence and they don't understand why am I sad today that my spouse is getting remarried? I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's moving on. Why am I sitting here crying my eyes out? Why am
0: I sad at these moments? And and, and it just is. Or why do I still, sometimes I randomly just cry and I am in an even more extraordinary relationship than I could have ever imagined now Mm -hmm. because I'm fully myself. I love myself. I love my body. I worked through so many things over the past six years, but there are still days where I find myself choked up in my throat. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? And then the shame sinks in again, where it's like, I shouldn't shame myself. I should just feel that it's okay to still grieve the person that's gone. It's Mm -hmm. okay to have moments like that, even if they're few and far between now that sometimes you just hear that song and you're like, wow, that one still hits it. That one still hits me.
1: Oh yes. And it, it can happen until the day we die. I think people set themselves up for difficulties when they have the idea that I process, I worked on this. It's done. Yes. Because it's, it, it's like a conveyor belt. It just comes around and it goes away and it comes around. And sometimes some conveyor belts are shorter. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes ones are once a week, once a year, once every 10 years. But when it comes around, instead of in framing it as what's wrong with me, I'm still having something unresolved issue or whatnot. You just go oh, Yep. There it is. My history is visiting me. Grief is Mm -hmm. visiting me and you let it just keep flowing. And that way you can surf that wave a little bit more and not be so alarmed that you're, you're feeling those emotions.
0: I love the conveyor belt, um, Mm -hmm. uh, idea. I've never heard it described like that. And one of the things I was thinking of, and I talked to you a little bit about this before, but we didn't take it deep is I've always heard that there's stages or phases of, of grief. And I always thought, okay, well, kind of like in, in any recovery program, quote unquote, you go through stage one, two, three, four, or seven or whatever it is, and then you're done. And then it's over and you graduated, you made it, you should never feel it again. And I always felt like I was like, what is wrong with me? Because I guess I just didn't make it through phase two all the way. I must have bypassed it, or whatever. But um, we do this in even in even in food and body and transformation process, where it's like, no, you're never going to be cured, in my opinion. You're going to continue to further to heal your relationship to certain things mm-hmm. and they heal my relationship to my grief, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to continue to cycle around. Like you said, the conveyor belt, and maybe right. it, it comes back around. Like, can you go into that a little bit more of what your, hope, what your feelings on this?
1: Yeah. The hope is that you experience it differently. You become more resilient. You become more masterful. You become more tolerant of your pain. Mm. You become more tolerant of the story and the journey. What, gets in our way is our resistance of that. We say pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We suffer when we resist the pain or when we try to control something we cannot control Mm. or change something we can't change. So when we stop resisting, why is this here? You can tell you're resisting when you hear yourself saying should have, would have, could have, have to, I hate if only why these kinds of things you're resisting a reality that just is and so when we stop judging it, we stop fighting it, we stop, we just let it flow like the waves in the ocean that okay, today's a stormy day, today's mm. a calm day. You begin to approach the storms differently, you begin to see the value of the storms differently, and then you have an inner peace about it. You have peace with the distress, so you get you're comfortable with the discomfort.
0: You mm. it's like
1: I have a, a sunburn. I now know in, in my wise years, oh, okay, that's a sunburn and I can overlook it. I turn my mind from it. I experience the pain of it, but I can tolerate it. But when, as a child, I might run to my parents like, get off, get it off, get it off. It hurts. It hurts. You know, yeah. and that is the hardest thing to explain to a young person about, yeah, it's, it's just going to hurt for a little while. And that's just so hard. They don't understand that they expect someone to have that magic and just take away the pain. So in our society, one of the problems we have here in the United States is that we're very chronologically minded. We're very destiny minded. We think we follow this recipe. You graduate from high school, you go to college, you meet your spouse, you get married, you get your, you, your house, you establish your career. You might have kids, might not. You get a dog,
0: <laughs> all the things.
1: Yeah. And then you retire happy and travel the world. Yeah. And so people follow this recipe and then they get to those destinations and they're not offering them the reward they imagined. And we especially see this in people that hit their fifties. And this is the midlife Mm -hmm. crisis that they go, well, I did that. And I don't like any of it, or it's not fulfilling me anymore. I, I feel dead inside. I'm burned out. And then they have a crisis because why do I feel this way? I was supposed to enjoy this. I was supposed to, you know, and again, that's the supposed to the expectation. So really we want to adopt the mindset that life is about the process, not the end result. It's about how we show up in that day, what we learn, what we gain, what we try, we don't try, how we fall down, how we pick ourselves up and how we flow with life. And while life is happening can we master finding that peace and contentment in all that shows up, whether it is pain or grief? And so even this model, of the five stages, I find this very uh, challenging, actually, when I started to keynote speak and and do uh, online stuff with my social media presence and things, people like to know like, I would be instructed, fine, tell them I have three steps. Yes. You know, I, I, three oh my gosh. Steps, right? it's always
0: like the steps and then it's done. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? They're <and> <laughs> drawn to it. They want to know those three secrets, those five yes. things. And we are drawn to that. It's very challenging for me to think of things like that because it's so much more fluid than that way. Mm. So even the five stages agree. People want to know what it, what are those pillars that I can anchor myself in, yeah. so I have a sense of progress. Yes. And in many ways, it's really like a placebo in that it gives people the idea that they will move past this. This isn't forever because there's five stages. So if I'm stuck at stage two, there is a stage three, four, five. (laughs) Well, there is a stage a hundred, you know, whatever day this is in your life, this is that stage, right? (laughs) Exactly. So you, when you look at these stages, so the stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. These five stages can be fluid and And mixed at all times, sometimes people don't come out with denial. Sometimes they come out of the gate with anger or sometimes they come out with acceptance and then, then they get angry later. So when we don't perfectly fit it, it puts us at risk of thinking, well, what's wrong with me that I'm not done being angry or that my anger keeps getting flared up. Yeah. And I find that a lot of times people can get to acceptance and they can find peace. But then five years down the road, they start to get really angry
0: about the
1: situation. You have a different perspective later. You mature, you, you start to have more insight about life, the journey. You have more insight about the choices. Maybe you learn different things and you go, gosh, I wish I had done that. I remember having this conversation with my mom, when my parents got divorced, when I was, when they were, uh, 24 or 25 when mm-hmm. I was three years old. And here I am in my late forties. And my mom is saying, you know, I realized that I really did not make a wise decision. I wish at that time I had done a, B and C. And if I knew what I knew now, I would have done these things. Mm-hmm. So that's just in her example, it doesn't mean that everyone is going to feel that way. Cause I hear other people go, and, and I have heard her say, even though I realize that, I'm glad I did because I'm happy with the life I have now. Right. So, <clears throat> so we we want to understand that we will feel different things. And that's why the conveyor belt really helps to see things just circling around to you. It can be Anxiety that comes around, depression that comes around, anger, history, insecurity, self-criticism, whatever it is. And when it comes around and visits you, you just want to see it like, oh, there it is. Anger is talking to me today. Inner critic is talking to me today. Grief is talking to me today and hear what it has to say and then let it flow back around. And how you do that is you bring your attention back into the here and now. And you just redirect it all the, over and over. Sometimes when it comes to talk to you, it has something it wants to say. A lot of times people think that emotion is a problem and they'll want to shut it down. But if you don't hear what it has to say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nagging at you. It's going to come. It's going to be intrusive, intrusive thoughts, intrusive dreams. So instead you want to go, okay, anger, what do you have to say to me right now? And it's going to say, well, I'm so mad that this, that you you made this choice or he made this choice or whatnot. And then you want to ask yourself if this, what does this feeling need and what does it want?
0: Hmm.
1: It might need to not be treated like that. What it wants is to know that in the future, you are going to have boundaries to not allow that to happen like that. Or it wants to know that you have some sort of plan or something to resolve that situation. So once you figure that out, then it's like, okay, it's done. And you let it flow. And that way we can let our emotions inform us, but not control us.
0: Mm, that's the emotions, really important. That's really important. Inform us, not control us. Yeah. They're messengers, they're
1: protesters, but behind the protest is a request. And that's very hard for people to detect or, um, to decode. What is the request? So if people go, it's really bad. It's going to be really, really, I'm not going to have any money. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be okay. So then what's the request. I need to know that I'm going to be okay. I need to know that financially I will have financial security. So I need a financial plan. Maybe I get counseling on from a financial advisor Maybe I start saving, I start exploring different careers, whatever it may be to help that person feel like, okay, I have an action plan in place. And then you move forward. And often when we do that, the emotion will then calm down and we'll say, okay, you get it now.
0: But yeah, this acknowledgement, the acknowledgement, that's why I always had a difficult time with the last quote unquote last phase, which is acceptance. Because there were so many moments, even, even now where I'm like, I accept, I accept a lot of things. I accept everything leading up to, I accept that it happened. I accept my personal, radical personal responsibility now, which feels really good. And in the beginning it felt really crappy. Like, Oh man, everybody's going to hate me that I'm, I was part of this, that I'm included in this. Right. And that just, wasn't the truth. It just, wasn't the truth. But even in the space of acceptance, It's like, there were times where I felt like I was feeling all the phases at once. I was feeling Mm -hmm. all the phases at once. It wasn't this, just like you said, it was the conveyor belt. It was, it was almost like just this swirling tornado around me. And I was sitting in the middle of all of it, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't want to, um, I just didn't want anybody to know that I was grieving. Why don't we want people to know that we're grieving,
1: Well, that's a complicated question that, that, oh my goodness, that could take like three episodes to break down. really. (laughs) But I will say that for one, whatever we think other people are going to think about us is often a thought we hold about it towards ourselves, Mm, that we are angry that we were part of it, that we judge ourselves when we are afraid that people are not going to accept us for this. We don't accept ourselves for this. So we can let this be uh, like a mirror, whatever we think people are thinking about us, to pause and say, do I hold that belief about it myself? Mm. Is that coming from within me anywhere? And often we will say, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. When people say something in therapy that they're so afraid to tell the therapist, it's really not about me, the psychologist. It's not about the other it's them hearing it themselves and being present in the presence of another human being while you're speaking it out that that is such a aversive moment that people are struggling with their own so there's that piece to it the piece that i'm i'm saying is really complicated is And and that one is too, because that's like a defense mechanisms. And most of the time, defense mechanisms are unconscious for us. Like we're not aware of it. Our head can say, no, I'm cool. But the body's going, no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. um, We can figure that out if we are having a lot of resistance and and perceived what we call self-sabotaging, which is really self-protecting. And we need to understand that that isn't a bad thing we're doing. It's actually our brain kicking in, our survival brain kicking in to make sure we're safe. And that's something we can talk about another time. It's big. yeah. But the, the, one of the things that comes up for a lot of people with being emotionally vulnerable and not wanting other people to see them emotionally vulnerable, we see this a lot in um, problems with attachment. If a kid had a parent whose help was not helpful, that either they were too suffocating to like their anxiety made their parent anxious That now, not only am I struggling with my anxiety, but now I have to clean up your anxiety, mom or dad. And that's a bigger problem than dealing with my own anxiety. Mm. So sometimes people will not ask for help because the help can be a bigger problem than the problem.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like me. I went into hiding. I literally could because nobody lived over here in California at the time. It was just him and he and I who were Mm -hmm. here. And so I literally just went like, I'm going to sit in my house and hide from everyone and everywhere and just let just tell everybody I'm good. I just need some alone time. That's what you can do for me is give me alone time. And really, I was just pushing myself into self-isolation because I didn't want to hear anything. I didn't yes. want to hear he sucks. Good for you. You're gonna. I didn't want to hear them bash him. I didn't want to hear them talk nicely about him. I didn't want them to hear to say nice things about me. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to just like sit mm-hmm. in it, and then cool. it just became a really long time of sitting in it mm-hmm. and, and not supporting myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. It's getting that right support. I use a tool where I teach people to say now is a time. I, to ask somebody is now a time you want me to help fix it, or is now a time you want me to help understand it. Mm. And so if it's coming, if we are asking someone to be present for us, we can say, I don't, I, I need support, but what would help me is just for you to listen and just be present with me, but not to feel like you have to fix it, Mm -hmm. but just to be with me. And sometimes we have to teach people how to do this. Cause people don't know what holding space is like. They feel, I need to make this better for you. I need to encourage you. I need to cheerlead you. And that's just an intolerance of it. The other hard part is when you meet new people, you want to have good vibration. You want to <laughs> show up in your best form. And so people will be drawn to you. You're drawn to them. And especially if you're a coach and you're in this, in this industry of helping people to feel better then you just feel like you're showing up as Eeyore when you're naturally a Tigger. And so- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Oh, that's
0: such a, that's <laughs> such a great, I, that like you, you're completely describing me to a T what I, what happened after I isolated was I went, okay, you're not this person, Heidi, you're a Tigger, even though you feel like an Eeyore right now, you're a Tigger. So go find some Tigger friends and party your head, your brains out. And I would just wake up every day looking for the party, right? Cause that was going to fix it. But mm-hmm. really I used it as a numbing agent because I needed to drink so that I could try to feel like mm-hmm. Tigger when I was actually living in my eorness, and, and try to move on being in a state that I actually wasn't being in. Does yeah. that make sense?
1: You absolutely need to feel it to heal it. Yes. You absolutely need to, and most people avoid it. They think if I feel this, if I sit with it, I, it's going to overcome me. It's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. But the opposite is true. If you, a lot of times I give people an assignment of a grieving weekend. I say, take a weekend, get your blanket, get your tea, get your bonbons, make everybody yes. just give you space and cry and cry and cry and look at it, feel it, journal it, yell it, do whatever you need to do it is essential and mm. you will start to feel some resolution and people come back and say, that was the weirdest thing. Like it really did. And it's not like it's over it's, but the pain is experienced differently. You're able to talk about it with holding the remorse or the sadness or whatever it is in mind, but it's not as raw and as triggering. And so there that's that radical acceptance is it's not saying I accept it. I have peace now all's well. I approve of it. I'm okay with it. It's just saying it is what it is. So I'm laying down my battle of trying to go back and control something I can't control, change something I can't change. So it's radical in that way, because it's a different kind of acceptance than our our typical acceptance. So when we're, if you were back where you grew up and around people that you were familiar with, that knew you, knew you were a Tigger, then you might have felt more free to, to be your EOR self in that day, because mm-hmm. you know that they knew you. But when you're in a different circle and different people, you just don't want to show up for the first time in that space, and that's okay. That's okay because you're honoring too that I'm we're, the relationships I want to build and starting fresh. That they're not the ones I'm going to take this to. I'm going to take it over here and let that be. And you give yourself that room.
0: This is this is such a special part of our conversation because as a coach right now, I support so many women through transformation, but I have felt a pull since last year to work exclusively exclusively with divorced women. Exclusively. And I haven't stepped up and in, into that just yet, but mm. I know that it's coming because of what you just said. There's this feeling with divorced women specifically where they go like, I don't want to show up. And like, I have this vision of, oh, I have to have girls like sex in the city as my besties. And I have to like, make sure I've got it all together so that we can have, I don't ruin cocktail hour. And the reality is, is like, you can still show up to a group of women in your vulnerability and have the most transformative experience. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know where to find those women. I was like, where do I find a group of women in their thirties, in their early thirties who are going through divorce? I I literally thought I was the only one on the planet going through a divorce, first of all. And second of all, like in my thirties, I'm like, well, everybody Mm -hmm. that's divorced is probably, you know, like 50, Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. There's women in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, eighties, like all age ranges um, Mm -hmm. that really just need that safe space to come together, grieve together and celebrate. It gets to be all the emotions, you know, like where can I land?
1: Yes. And when we show up that way and we allow ourselves to take those risks, it does affect the culture of that group. And the people who don't want to be like that, they're not comfortable being transparent and vulnerable. They're not going to probably come back, but the ones that are, then they're going to say yes. This is our tribe. The mm-hmm. thing that came to mind to me too when you were talking was um, this summer I showed up at a women's event and I was in a very vulnerable emotional space, and I decided to just be honest about it. And I did have a vulnerability hangover for a little while mm-hmm. afterwards because I was honest about it with people who I had never met before, and that was really uncomfortable. And also, I felt that I didn't want to have that um, that image with me or that feeling to where people you get a pity, yeah. Where people are, there's empathy, but then there's also this pity, or they'll have these ideas that you are in this situation or you're thinking or feeling this, and it might not fit to you. And also, when you're moving forward. You might not want to, you might want to just have a normal day and not be checked in on. Yeah. It's kind of like I had a doctor once tell me that I had cancer and I didn't, but she told me I did. Wow. And it was devastating. Thank goodness I didn't. But I was so emotionally distraught and I told all my friends. And one of the things I realized was that in order for me to heal this cancer, this perceived cancer, I had to have positive thoughts, I had to have a positive mood but I was so freaked out. I couldn't. And then I was freaking out, that I was freaking out because my freak out going to make my cancer freak out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm so stuck. Like I can't not think these things. I, if I think these things I was like, so I did, I just needed to have normal days, wake up, just go through the day, just pretend like cancer's not there. So I can have positive mind to help make this cancer go away. And, but yet I found everyone was calling me. How are you now? How are you feeling? And that constant reminder interfered with my ability to just have a normal day. And so I thought to myself in the future if this ever happens, I'm going to choose like two people, my safe person that I can call and reach out to. So I'm not constantly being reminded, constantly being checked in. And so that might be something that's helpful too, is to designate your safe people. And you say, I'm just going to call you when I'm having a rough day and what I need is for you to say, tell me about it, just tell me about it and let you vent and just say, yep, this really sucks. Um, Mm. I'm with you, hon. It's a rough day and just, and it's okay. And then you don't, you won't have to do it in places that maybe later you go, gosh, now they're all calling me and I don't want to have that be the focus and things like that.
0: I think that's really important what you said too a little bit earlier, and that is being okay at letting other people know what you need. I I didn't really know that I had permission to tell my family and my friends and my coworkers how I needed them to be with me. Mm
1: -hmm. You know,
0: like, here's what I, here's, here's what I need. I need you to listen today. I need you to support me today. I need you to hold me in my anger today. I need you to, you know, whatever it is that I needed. And then on the flip side, I know that they didn't understand what I needed. How can I support her? And I have a couple of friends like this as well, who have gone through loss with a, with a loved one, death and divorce. And it's like, I was on the other side of the tracks where I was like, well, how often should I check in? Should I should we talk about him or shouldn't we talk about him? Should it's all the shoulda, coulda, woudas, like like you said, mm-hmm. like how how do you unpack it when you're the person in the other seat witnessing grief? How yeah. would you recommend people approach it from that angle? Yes. I love that you said that because often we think
1: that people know what we need and know what we feel. They know that we're home alone, sad but we need to take back the power instead of letting it be all external. I'm cared for if the external world figures it out. Right. And if they're tuned into me, right, the healing place and the masterful empowering place is to take that role ourselves to access an inner parent inside who is going to say, I got this. I'm going to make sure we get the support we need. I'm going to make sure that we're tuned into ourselves And so when we do find that, gosh, I'm feeling really lonely, well, then let's reach out to somebody and tell them what we need. I'm feeling that I need some private space. Okay. I'm going to let people know that I'm just taking some time to take care of myself. So you take that initiative to inform outside, to take care of inside Instead of relying on the outside to just figure that out, because they'll never figure it out. It's a mystery. We don't know. Do you want this now?
0: Not want this now? I love that. Even just, I think of social outings. So my girlfriends and I, we used to get together over the holidays, pre-COVID and, you know, have have a little get together. And I was never like, should we talk about the tough stuff? Like, this is the time, like, I don't want to avoid it or feel like we're being unsensitive. insensitive, but But uh, do they want to talk about it? Or do they just want to have a crafting night where we're going to build wreaths and do whatever and laugh and have wine and blah, 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 or is it Uh both? And so it's like, I love that you said that as the person really moving through grief, that you get to take personal responsibility and just step up and say, like, this is where I'm at and this is what I need today. This Mm -hmm. is what it looks like and that yes. you're you'll be met with that on the other side cuz people are just waiting to receive your needs.
1: Yes. And discern people too. You have we all have people in our lives that are really good at letting someone cry on their shoulder. Mm. And we have other people that they just don't do that so well. And if you go to them you get drill sergeant advice, you know, that you're still upset about this, get over it and you got to get your head and blah blah blah, right? And so instead of trying to make that drill sergeant, the warm and fuzzy person over and over again, recognize that's not their strength. They're not a cry in their shoulder kind of person, but this one over here is. So we don't have to get mad at that friend or reject the friend. We can say you're the, you're drill sergeant friend. You're really good at working out with, you're really good at going out for happy hour with, but I'm not going to go to you for my emotional support. I'm going to go to this one over there that is really empathic and will sit and listen to me. So recognize what people's strengths and weaknesses are and instead of getting mad at them for not being who you want them to be in that moment, accept who they are and take that initiative to go to the one that is good at that. And if you don't have anyone in your life like that, then that's our journey is to try to find people. That are good at emotional support. And there are grief groups. There are divorce recovery groups and things and not compare your divorce, other people's divorce. And, and this is the black and white thinking a lot of people get stuck with is that if I'm sad about this, then that means I'm not happy about that. They flip it. So like earlier you said, I'm in a relationship. I'm really happy. I love this person. So why am I grieving this other person? Well, the one doesn't have anything to do with the other. And the myth is that if I'm happy in my relationship here, then I would have absolutely no grief with my relationship over there. And it just doesn't work that way. They're two separate events. They're separate experiences. And the person that you were in that other relationship is still with you. You know, it's like, if you take a timeline from birth till now, every thought you've ever had, every feeling you've ever had, every way you've showed up is on that timeline you wrap it around and connect it. And that's your conveyor belt. Mm. So little you is going to come around little three-year-old U is going to come around 15 year old, 20 year old, three-year-old, and she's going to get called out depending on certain variables and certain triggers. So when she does come, you want to step into your loving parent and love on her, which says, I'm so sad. I miss him or I miss this about our relationship and say, yes, I know that was a good part of the relationship. Wasn't it Mm. that you do miss that right now and let it be. I, I I had a relationship before my marriage. I've been married for 26 years, but before, and and let me just say, that's another thing. that gets a lot of people in divorce bugged up when they hear people say, because people say it so proudly, like they've, they are, um, they did something, or better somehow, that they sustained this long marriage. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people just
0: hold on and they're miserable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've been together. Well, we've been together for twenty nine years, and you're just like, and how does how have the last fifteen felt? You know? Yeah, right,
1: <laughs> right. And it, it's really a hard time actually. Um, after between twenty and twenty five, it's a really hard time on a lot of marriages. Yeah. And, you know, same with parenting where some parents have these kids that are amazing and they, and they just walk around like they're these amazing parents, but you just got lucky. You had kids with easy dispositions and who don't have certain challenges and it's not necessarily reflection.
0: So if
1: somebody had a marriage that lasted, it doesn't make them like they got the, they figured it out. They have the magic and the recipe. It just, it just is, it just is what's that journey. I could have divorced my husband so many times.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: But, you know, so, but I had this relationship before him that I was deeply in love with. And throughout my entire marriage, this man comes to mind every now and then he comes to mind. Like it's, and I, I think, is this an obsession? Like what the heck, but I realized one day that. He represented, he was an object that represented something I wanted in my life. So this quality that he had, a personality thing he had, whenever I was longing for that in my life, in my current marriage, my mind would bring him to my mind, but it wasn't who he was. It was what he represented. Uh So maybe he was playful in a certain context. And I really was desiring being playful like that with my husband. Or maybe he was really outgoing and I wish my husband was outgoing or he was, um, athletic and I wish my husband was athletic or whatever it was. So the times that I was longing for that to show up in my life, my brain went to the source that it knew had that it's just like smoking a cigarette. If I'm stressed, if I ever was a smoker, and let's say I haven't smoked in 20 years, But i once was a smoker under the right conditions my brain's gonna go man i need a cigarette and you go why in the world am i wanting this now it's because my brain knows that that cigarette is going to calm me so it goes to the solution our our survival brain makes no judgment it doesn't know the difference in real and imagined it -hmm. just goes to what works so if there was a quality of that previous relationship that my brain wants right now It's going to bring that to mind, but we don't know how to decode these things. And so we'll say, oh, I must want him. You don't want him. You wanted what that memory was that came to mind, that playful moment, that compatibility, Mm. that adventure that you had, that feeling you had in that moment. That is something your heart is wanting right now. So it's like, oh, thank you memory for bringing that to my awareness. So my task right now is to see if I can build that in this moment, or if I can create tap into that emotion or ask my current partner to do something with me. We need to go on a vacation. We need to get more friends, be more social, whatever it is. And that's that's one way we could decode why those
0: memories are coming to us. Wow, I got goosebumps when you were describing this whole piece. This is so. How does that connect with you?
1: Like when you heard me say that,
0: like does that come real
1: for you? Oh my
0: gosh! I mean, immediately some uh, a person came to mind, and I was like, wow, this person pops up every once in a while, and I can't figure out because I'm like we haven't seen each other since high school. It doesn't make any sense. Like, but I love that you said it's not him. It's what he represented. Mm-hmm. And then after you started go- digging a little bit deeper, I'm like, yeah, wow. It's the quality. It's that, that quality and that quality and that quality that is literally my body just going, Hey, Heidi, why haven't we done this in a while? Why haven't mm-hmm. we a saying to this or done this or, played or just done something wild in a while. Like remember, remember when we used to do that? And it's like, oh, I think we can confuse that even sometimes with grief, right? Like, Mm. oh man, I'm grieving the fact that that's no longer in existence anymore. And then it took me to a space of friendship. And I went through a pretty big transition in friendship over the past, I would say year and a half. Mm-hmm. Maybe two years, and it felt so painful to me. And I couldn't rea—I couldn't figure out why I uh, why this cycle kept coming up. It was like, wow, I would have a I would have a really close friend, and then the really cro- close friend would meet somebody, a- another friend, and then they would pick the other friend. That's what my perception was. And so it was like, wow, Heidi, you're really good at initiating friendship, but then you introduce people to people and they like each other better than their relationship with you. And Mm -hmm. I kept thinking that that was happening. And the reality was, is that I just needed to grieve. I just needed to grieve the loss of what actually wasn't the reality of that relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. I was trying to hold on to these past qualities of what these people with these friendships represented Mm-hmm. Instead of sitting in the grief that they no longer were that,
1: yes, very powerful. Very great that you put that together. I find so much when I listen to people tell me their story, there is the actual relationship they are in. and then there's the perceived relationship that they think they're in. Yes. So they'll say, like, I don't want to end this relationship because, We have so much fun together. We're going to go on this trip together. We're going to have this adventure together. And so basically their partner paints these verbal pictures for them. uh, draws it like we're going to have this future that we're going to do these things. We're going to be these people together, just hang in there. But if you look at the actual situation, none of those things have happened. That person has never taken them anywhere, has not spent any money on them, has not had any fun with them. Nothing of that has happened, but in their mind, they're saying that that's what they're giving up. They're not giving that up because the fact is, none of that has happened. It's an idea that you're giving up, and that's not real. So we we have these two different realities. We have the reality we're living in, and the land of Oz that we think we're in, right? Yes. So when we think, "Oh, I'm losing this great friend," well are they a great friend? Have they, they have they even,
0: have you even taught? Like I literally had this moment where I woke up and I was like, Heidi, have you even talked to her? Have you even seen her in over a year? No, you haven't. So it was these fantasies of what was and what I, what I basically had, had expected it to just continue to be without Mm -hmm. myself even putting in any of the effort. So I needed to grieve that like really, really, it wasn't until I grieved until I sat with it and I cried about it, like ugly cry, snotty cry. Mm -hmm. Then I was mad about it. Just like, why, like, why, why wouldn't you stay friends with me? And then I was mad at myself and I went through the grief tornado that I described to you earlier. And then I was finally like, okay, storm's over for today. Storm's over for today. You know, and
1: that scenario is one we see a lot in relationships of all kinds, because we have, we see someone's potential hmm. and we see the potential that we could be these best friends. We could be people that have fun together like this and that, and then it doesn't happen. And then you see them enter a relationship with someone else and do that with them. Yes, And then you wonder what's wrong with me. How come they didn't want to take me on that trip or me on that journey. Yeah. And, the way I've finally landed with that is just to trust the energy of that trust that that person is not your person. Have you ever had that experience where you talk to some person and you just, you say things at the same time, you interject at the same time that the timing of your is off and you can't figure it out is it, the joke is off your, your response to their joke is off and you just. just as a weird interaction and you walk away and you go, what the heck, how come we can't talk like normal people? (laughs) It's (laughs) It's like we're stepping on each other's feet when we're talking and it's just awkward, incredibly awkward, but you're not like that with anybody else or you're with somebody. And the second you're with them, you just feel immediately exhausted. Like you need to take a nap and you go, why am I so tired with this person? But then you meet another person and you're on fire. Like the best of your personality comes out. You're telling jokes, you're charismatic, you're engaged. And you walk away just feeling like, wow, it's the best version of me. We want to pay attention to that because there are chemical interactions going on between us and other people that we don't sense with our um, conscious sensing. It's neuroception. It's a, it's a neurological perception. We're smelling the person we're sensing their energy. We're in sync. You want to be with people that you're in sync with. And even if they seem like someone that you should be in sync with, if you're not in sync with them, just let that be okay. Because there's something about the chemistry that is off. There's something about the timing that is off. So when you recognize it like that, you go, okay, that that's not my person and you let it flow, but you keep moving forward and notice the people that you interact with that bring that best version of you out, that you bring that out in them, that you feel expanded, you feel big, you feel vibracious. Those are your people. Mm. And you'll start to notice that. And when I started to step into this new world and industry and going out and speaking and um, doing all this stuff. I, it was a little disjointed at first because I would meet people and I would feel, uh, I wouldn't feel full and vibrant and then other people I would. And, but I was so conditioned to try to make the non-vibrant relationships vibrant because I would see them be vibrant with other people. And so I go, well, why are you vibrant with them? But you're not vibrant with me. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You guys are just not at the same vibration. That's all it is so let it go that's not the table you're meant to sit at that's not the banquet you're meant to be at there is one waiting for you that Mm -hmm. is going to be incredible for you the most incredible people incredible opportunity and you trust that so when you say no to something you're saying yes to something else and you have to trust the power of that intention that you set the intention the universe will conspire to assist you and you are going to a destination that is going to be amazing so mm-hmm. whenever we leave a relationship whether we are assessing it as positive or negative or or whatever we size it up as we the moment you set the intention to create wellness health and good things in your future you got to trust that it's coming and you're moving towards it and you're co-creating with God to make that happen and mm. so, we trust the timing. We trust that there are good things in our future coming and we want to find that way. Now, one of the symptoms of trauma is it causes people to lose the ability to plan for the future.
0: Yes. So sometimes- I was just going to ask you, how do we, how, how do we get out of grief? Because I feel like a lot of times people feel like they're stuck in it. It might be trauma
1: too. And like there's old trauma, which is, we knew we were exposed to an event and that caused a trauma response. But now we see new trauma as having everything to do with regulating your nervous system. So sometimes people, it's so stressful. It's so jarring that their body can get stuck in a trauma state. So they need to have tools to help resolve that physiological trauma. And so they might be calling it grief, but it might be grief that was co-occurring with a trauma response. Mm. So what I like to use for that is anything that's based on polyvagal theory. Mm. And, and this is something you can see all over YouTube and um, here are people talking about it's, it's Kate, um, Stephen Porges created the polyvagal theory, and we need to learn tool tricks, hacks that we can use to activate our nervous systems, calming response. Hmm. It's not something we can do intellectually with talking with knowing sometimes you don't even know why your body is doing what it's doing, but you're trusting it. You know, when you say that you sometimes randomly cry, this is a good thing. Because what happens when we feel safe is the emotion that has been trapped in our body gets released and it comes out like little bubbles. It's like getting the gas out of you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you have to emotions have a life cycle of the beginning, a middle and an end and like digesting, you bring it in, you digest it, you bring in food, you digest it and you got to excrete it. Well, excretion is crying. Excretion is shaking. Excretion is yelling, moving. So when our body is in a crisis, we freeze up, we don't express our emotion, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. So then when we're in a safe place and we feel calm, all of a sudden we start randomly crying. So you have to go, Oh, good. That's it. That is a stress bubble that went out, a survival bubble that's being released. Yes. You press it. And you just let it release. You go, I don't know Why? but I'm going to support myself today as I cry and I'm just going to let that be. Okay. I don't have to judge it. And I don't have to understand it.
0: Yeah. I I think so many times people think that they're bad for crying, you know, that, Oh, I need to be stronger. It's it's, that's just like conditioning right from, from, Growing up, but yeah, I love all the polyvagal theory stuff of breath work. You know, I'm into breath work now and facilitating that. Good job, and yeah, it's so important. It's it's such a massive part with with the coaching part, and I know in your practice as well, we Mm -hmm. talk through a lot of things, and that's beautiful. And I also find that once I integrate the breathing practices into those Mm -hmm. sessions, we oftentimes unhook, unlock, and release the things that were trapped inside of there. And that can lead to further discussion or that can also open up a discussion or there doesn't even have to be a discussion around it.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Often people get stuck in. If I know why, then I will change it. If I know why somehow it would create change, but knowing the, why doesn't create change, knowing why sugar is bad for you. Doesn't make you not eat sugar. (laughs) Knowing why alcohol is not good for your body. doesn't mean you're going to stop drinking. It's so true. We get, we get stuck in why crassination (laughs) (laughs) and so we don't want to why crassinate, you know, just, just let it be. We're not judging it. We're learning to be with it, but these are all skills that we need to learn. Like when people say you need to feel it, to heal it, to unlock it and release it, you know, these things it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, breath work that you instruct people with learning how to sit with emotion, learning all these mindset things that we've talked about, that it's not a destination. It's just a, a process of waves coming and going and we need to ride the waves and release ourselves from the shoulds and the expectations and and mm-hmm. to really um, build our support, know where it is, learn how to discern what people are, are good crying friends and which people are good activity friends. And how all of this that we've talked about today are all different skills, whether it's a mindset skill or an, a relational skill or a biofeedback body skill, these are, this is the journey is that we're, we're building those up. And going to our resources that can help equip us so that we can be masterful in riding the waves.
0: That's so important. Um, The last thing that I wanted to get your opinion on here is you oftentimes hear people say, and this is one of the this is one of the phrases that I like to myth bust. But I'm curious what your stance on it is. And it's it's okay and great if we disagree. But I often hear the phrase "time will heal," and I strongly disagree and i made the mistake of doing this this is why i disagree but that's just my experience right Mm -hmm. and i just believe that time delays Mm -hmm. the uh, time delays everything for you to move through until you actually feel it to heal it i don't think that time heals at all yeah i know
1: it's such a problematic statement. <laughs> I hear this all the time. People go, it's just a choice. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I just need the operational definition you need. It's so many layers, right? So when they say heal, what do they mean by heal? What does that look like? How do people experience it? And then all the ways people understand that phrase and what they do with it. So sometimes they go, well, time will heal. So that means I'm going to bury this stuff, it, deny it, and then just bite down and grin and grip it or whatever that saying is. And, and then you in five years, I'll feel different, right? That's the lump in the breast that you didn't go to the doctor with. And now it's killing you. Right. And so we, we don't want to ignore, we need to attend. We have to attend to what our needs are, what a feeling is needing and wanting. They, we have to attend to our inner child. We have to attend. If not, it's going to get disruptive. When we do attend, what happens over time is it gets different. It gets Mm -hmm. different. We can still have sadness that that event occurred. We can still be very sad that this is on our timeline. I didn't want that story. I didn't want that event happening in my life. I didn't set out to have that happen. I didn't, but it did. And -hmm. it just did. Mm -hmm. So we, we have peace with that, that we don't let that define us anymore and, and as you go through this world and you're encountering other people that are letting that define them, like people are letting their 30 year marriage define them. And you're learning not to let the chronology, cr- how long your marriage was to define you that when we encounter that, we know that that's their, that's their mindset. It doesn't have to be mine mm-hmm. and I don't have to change theirs. I don't have to get them to see me the way I want them to see me or think the way I they, I want them to think. You can accept people where they're at in their journey because you fully validate yourself. You fully accept yourself, all parts of you. You mm. have radical self-acceptance, radical self-love, which means you choose love for yourself. You choose grace for yourself, not because you feel it, but because you are making that mindset choice, mm. even though you don't feel it. Even though I don't feel love for myself today, I fully and completely love myself Mm -hmm. and you practice this over and over. And eventually you begin to have a lot of grace for yourself and be able to get up and learn what you need to learn and do what you need to do and just do it over and over until we're done. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it works. I love
0: this. So much self-compassion, just so much self-compassion. Yeah. Being humans hard. And I don't know anyone that has their shit together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if you do, they're probably not showing the whole story, right? That's right.
1: My, my rule of thumb is the day that my clients are doing better than me. I take that day off. You yeah,
0: know I mean? it's so good. Cause we, so I good. have those days,
1: you know, like some yes. days I'm at top of the well. And some days I put, I, I take a nap and do something else. Cause I just can't be there that day. And that's okay.
0: Oh, this conversation has been so magical as usual. I can't thank you enough for really helping people normalize grief. We have yes. to normalize that grief is not just, but it is just another emotion yes. in all of the all of the things that we're feeling. So if we can just know that it is okay to feel it, yeah, and it's yeah. okay to ask for what we need, yeah. um, it can be such a powerful, powerful tool tool to just continue to move through the, uh, what do you call it? The The cycle, the conveyor belt, the conveyor belt. I love that. I will never forget that. Um, and, and to
1: know that even if the marriage, like there wasn't something big and wrong and bad about why you ended your relationship or there wasn't all the stereotypical reasons for a divorce, or even if there was, and it was healthy, well, and best for someone to leave in all ways, uh, you can still have grief, yes. even though you left someone who was beating you, even though you left someone who was your best friend and you both agreed to it, you know, whatever it is, we had a dream that was associated with that relationship. And every relationship has hard parts and good parts, and we can miss those good parts. Mm-hmm. We can miss the moments, the times, the feelings, all those things. It's normal. So we don't want to judge any of it just let it be, just let it be. And you're just having that moment, love on yourself, support yourself. And we move forward. We get up and we have another day
0: Mm. and
1: every day we're okay. And we can set out to create what we hope to create in our lives. Mm.
0: So, so empowering today. Thank you for this conversation. I want to make sure that people know it's going to be in the show notes, but just give us a little snippet of where people can find you and all the magic that you're creating in this world today.
1: Oh, thank you. So they can find me on social media at Dr. Sean Horn, uh, my YouTube channel at Dr. Sean Horn, my podcast inspired living podcast. And uh, I have a column in tois magazine, which you can find online too. And I will have a Ted talk coming out in October, all sorts of fun stuff. But if you're on my social media, you'll find out all about all those things.
0: Oh, I'm so excited for everything that you have coming up. And I'm so, so grateful that you continue to bless us with all of your, your greatness here. And you guys, I just want to put Thank this you. out there. If you love this episode with Dr. Sean Horn and I, please, please, please follow her on Instagram and all her other channels, tag her. And I share this episode out, take a screenshot of the tile, you know, really help us get this message out to, to people that need it. And if you want to hear more of Dr. Sean Horn on this podcast, and you have time topics that you want her to to breach and really bring forward you guys have heard several of her her things now but she has so much to share send her a dm send me a dm and let me know what topics let us know what topics you want her to talk about on cup of joy the podcast it would be beautiful to continue to share your your love and your light in this space so thank you so much for coming today i appreciate you you so 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 much
1: (laughs) thank you and i you thank you
0: and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.